I want to welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well Show. Your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias. Um, Elias, we're getting ready. It's three days to Christmas as this episode is going to air. Are you, is your family ready? Of course. We're always ready for, for Christmas. Been ready for Christmas since Halloween. Yeah, this year we actually started decorating. I, I don't even want to admit this. It was like November 15th we had our tree up because my wife went and we had a real tree. And I don't know if I told anybody this story, but last year my wife came, went and bought a real tree. And we've got ceilings in our house that are 10 feet and then they go to like 11 feet. So I told her, I said, go get a nine foot tree. Like, don't get bigger than a nine foot tree. So she goes out to Hoffman Tree Farm or wherever she went and got this tree. And they delivered this thing. It's gigantic. It is literally like the Griswold family Christmas tree. It's all wrapped up, you know, and they bring it in. They put it up there. The top of the tree hits the ceiling. So now there's, you know, sap up on the tree and it's a white sap up on the ceiling. They take the band off and literally the tree explodes just like the movie. And yep. she comes home. She's not home at the time. I'm like, if I bought this tree, do you know how much trouble I would have been in if I would have brought that tree home? And don't get me wrong. It was a beautiful tree. It was a great tree. I really enjoyed it. Other than it was a little too yeah, tall. Geez, I was going to say, you sound like the Grinch. So it, no, no, I enjoyed the tree. But this year she goes, we're not going to have that problem. I go, okay, what's the plan? She goes, I'm buying a fake tree. And I'm okay with that. So I that's why that. that's why we had the fake tree up by November 15th because they delivered it. They did all the work. They put it up. So we've been set for a long time. In fact, this is the first year I've done lights outside my house ever. My daughter goes, Dad, when are we putting up our Christmas lights? Because all the neighbors are doing it. I'm like, well, we'll have to go buy some. So I went and bought like three strands of red lights and put it in a tree outside. And we bought a little Grinch figurine and some stuff. But uh, my, my five-year-old daughter started giving me the guilt trip about Christmas. So we've been well prepared. I don't know about you, but my wife does, you know, 99% of the shopping for Christmas. So there's not a whole lot I have to do from that standpoint. Uh, yeah, I do zero, zero percent of it. So the gift, my wife buys her own gift and wraps it and then it's from me. So we did that this year too, for each of us it's in just the past. We always easier. exchanged this year. We just said, Hey, go buy what you want, wrap it up. Kids can watch us open some stuff. Um, not that they probably care about what we're opening, but I don't know if you saw this article. I threw it on the outline. Did you buy the Applebee's NFT? And what's interesting about no. this, before I go into this, my wife the other night, we, you know, my kids go to bed at eight. So we start chatting in the kitchen and she goes, hey, uh, I want to invest in the metaverse. That's what she told me. She, she wants to invest in the metaverse. Yeah, because she's been reading about it. And, you know, I go back to. The story about my wife when we were first married. And I don't know. You've probably heard this story when we were first married. It was like 2002. We just bought a new house in 2003. And my wife came home. She's like, hey, I really think we should invest in this thing called Netflix. You know, we just bought a new house. I don't have any money. I'm like, I don't have any money to put into Netflix. I'm 24 years old. I never live that one Ooh, down. Ouch. So, so the other night she goes, I'd like to invest in the metaverse. Okay. Let me give me a little time to research and figure out how to do it, what to buy. She goes, well, what about this NFT? I go, you don't even know what an NFT is. So then I had to go into the discussion with my wife about what a non-fungible token was. <laughs> then she actually went and found an ETF because she was trying to get, understand the difference between a non-fungible token and an ETF. I said, well, the ETF is probably the route that you're going to go if we invest in the metaverse because this is highly speculative. But when I saw this NFT that Applebee's released, um, 
It just made me think of my wife's story. But Applebee's just sold a burger, non-fungible token, to kind of capitalize on the uh, crypto hype. And it sold for 25 bucks. But whoever bought it got a great deal. Because with the NFT came one year's worth of burgers from Applebee's. I mean, so you spend 25 bucks and you get a year's worth of... I wish I would have known about that because I could definitely, I could use a year's worth of cheeseburgers at right? any well, point. Well, here's time. what it does. The restaurant chain said that this NFT um, signals the start of Metaverse Monday campaign that they're going to have. So when you start thinking about my wife is talking about the Metaverse, Facebook has changed their name to Meta. All this is happening. And we, I mean, we're pioneers. We talked about this like a year and a half ago. Earth 2. Yeah. When I tried to tell my wife about Earth 2 like a year and a half ago, she goes, what is this? I'm like, well, now she's understanding. She goes, well, maybe we need to go buy a restaurant in New York City in the metaverse. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here, yeah, now but, it starts. But it's interesting because Applebee's is a publicly traded company. It's a g- giant chain, and they're embracing Metaverse Monday. And, and apparently, and I didn't know this, so shame on me, but White Castle, Taco Bell, and there's other f- few other big name brands who've entered this digital space as well. So um, it's really crazy where things have come in a lot. I mean, no one knew what an NFT was two years ago, and now Applebee's has Metaverse Monday. Um, and just to clarify, how much money is a year's worth of burgers? Because it's not like a burger every day. I think it says 1300 1300 bucks. So I said, ah, oh, that's probably, what is that? Like two burgers a week? And what's a burger? 10 bucks? 12 yeah. bucks? 25 Gotta a week? So they must be giving you like 25 or 30 bucks a week for burgers. But whoever bought that, you know, they really, they made out well. They did. And I don't, I don't know, maybe someday I'll be able to go to Applebee's and enjoy Metaverse Monday. I probably didn't know about this because I don't, I don't eat at Applebee's, White Castle, or Taco Bell, for that matter. So I'm out of loop. One thing I heard this morning, I was listening to Jim Cramer on the way into work. And uh, if you don't know Jim Cramer, he's the host of Mad Money on CNBC, and he's on um, the morning show on the CNBC radio station. And they were talking about Domino's, their stock prices fell, and just this shift in general of people are not going out as much, even though COVID is still here. People aren't as worried about it, but they believe there's just this philosophical shift of how people live that they may not go out as much. You know, and I look at my wife and I, we used to have a babysitter every Friday night. Like we'd have a date night once a week. Well, we haven't had anybody for like three weeks. We go out to eat two or three times a week, sometimes more now. Maybe we do carry out once a week. But if you start to think about the impact that it has on the overall service space, restaurants in general, there's got to be some pressure because we're not the only ones doing that. And their talk was this probably isn't just COVID related. It's people have changed their habits. People have realized that, you know, I go out and spend 125 bucks at dinner because if you have a family, you're not getting out of there for less than 100 bucks. Or I can have good quality time at home and save the hundred dollars. People have just changed their habits. And we've also saw that they had some data released here recently about um, personal savings rate. It's one of the highest percentages in the last 20 years. So I also kind of think that goes with how some of these chains are trying to capitalize on this metaverse. Like you may actually 
go out to dinner, just never leave your house. So, yeah, I guess, but wouldn't it, like if don't ask host, me how it all works. Right. I don't know. But my wife, so my wife was talking. Probably gonna go to the restaurant, and people are gonna be wearing that big virtual reality. No, I don't think you're gonna leave thing. your house. My wife goes, "You mean I can just go out with all my girlfriends and not, never leave the house?" I'm like, "I guess," because I don't know how it all works yet. But in reality, that's probably yeah. what this is. Like, hey, my friend who lives in Des Moines and my one who lives in Florida, we could all get together in the virtual world and go have a cocktail together. I I'm mean, gonna, I'm going to be the biggest bear on that. It, I do not <laughs> like that. That I don't like that idea. I don't, I don't like know. the idea of. I mean, we already have FaceTime, but I like. I don't like that idea. I like people getting together and having real experiences together. Well, they gosh, would be, I'm old fashioned. They would I sound be, like I'm 60 years old. Well, technically, I think they would be getting together and having a good time in the metaverse and having a real experience. <laughs> so. Part of this is you have to wrap your head around how this thing will work. I don't know how I'm going to make out. it my mission to never be seen in the metaverse. What I told my wife when she first said this, I'm like, you know, this is just like George Jetson stuff. Like, you know, George Jetson was way ahead this time, but we still don't have like flying cars. And how long was the Jetsons created? You don't even know what the Jetsons are, do you? It was like an old cartoon when I was a kid. I'd be all for uh, flying vehicles, though. That'd be great because then you can get where you want to go faster. The Jetsons were made in 1962. So since 1962, they've basically been promoting this idea of flying cars, and we haven't got there. So I don't know how long it's going to take to get to the metaverse. We have real-life experiences with our friends from our couch. But if it's the Jetsons, yeah, it could be 50 real, years. Yeah, real experience where I got a the big headset on, and it's all uh, good. I Maybe. So it's just Maybe. kind of some. I don't see. I don't. I don't see me being a fan. But. It just kind of goes to some of the stuff we've talked about all year. There's a lot of new stuff in our world that people have never heard of, and they're trying to wrap their head around it. You know, meme stocks, um, bit, or a, a digital currency, and now NFTs and the metaverse and all these new things we've never heard of. Which, if you think about it, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, in the mid 90s, the internet was kind of a new thing. I mean, right? You go to AOL, we all dial up. It took know. 11 minutes. You weren't even around. I don't remember when the internet was new. It's always been in my life, so I don't know what that was like. What was the question you asked me on a show regarding how old I was? Like, when I got married, was the internet invented is what you asked me. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. I wasn't sure if the internet was older than your marriage or your marriage was older than the internet. I wasn't sure. So. We should actually have that in the year-end summary show, like, the greatest moments and that's probably of this year that's got to be my greatest moment i mean we laughed here for like 15 minutes because it was kind of like you really didn't know but it was this like massive insult about how i had old a feel I, I i had a feeling the internet was already around when you got married that was my suspicion uh, um okay so metaverse yeah i don't know right now i'm not a fan I just I don't like the idea of people seeking their entertainment through the metaverse. And it like and then if it starts to if we start going down this path where people don't want to be around other people and then so like I like going to live music. So I would never be in favor of hey instead of going to the venue and going to watch the performers, you're going to sit on your couch and put virtual virtual reality headset on and watch from there. And it's the same. It says to me that would not be the same. Have you ever done the virtual? 
Have you ever done a virtual reality headset? Um, no, probably no. So then you're actually not sure it wouldn't be the same because what if you could go buy well, how a do ticket? I, how do if I'm not there, how do I go buy a beer and drink a beer and stand there and watch them? You're going to walk yourself and, in and the talk metaverse. to people. Yeah. You just do it right in the metaverse. I, I think, I think you're not open-minded about it. I'm not, but that's okay. <laughs> um, let's go back to something that's actually, instead of new, a really old thing. This has actually been around since, um, I don't know, mid nineties. It was created by a guy named Bill Benjamin, and it's really the 4% safe withdrawal rate. And it's been the standard. And we mentioned this on a previous show. I'd, I'd seen this article before, but it's been the standard in our industry, basically from the time I've, I've started, which was 2002. Um, when somebody says, Hey, how much is the safe withdrawal rate? Or how much can I take out and have a high probability of never outliving my assets? We've just instantly responded 4%. And I believe this was created, in my, in my opinion, because back in the mid-90s, financial plans, like someone sitting down and doing a financial plan wasn't mainstream, partly due to technology. It was just a lot harder, a lot more cumbersome, where today we can knock it out in a couple of hours and dial in what someone needs to do. But this has been the gold standard for the better part of 30 years. Morningstar released a report that said the standard rule of thumb should now be lowered from 3.3% to 3.3% from 4%. And the reason is, and most people out there would realize this, back when they did this in the mid-90s, the average return on cash, just savings account cash, is like 5%. I mean, I remember in 2002, I opened my first orange savings account, ING orange savings account, 5.75% of my savings account. We've all Man. forgot that the days of that are long gone. I had a client the other day. Yeah, if a bank opened that right now, people they they'd be too busy. They wouldn't be handle the work. They wouldn't be able to handle the workload. No, they, they wouldn't be able to take all the deposits. Right. Um. So, Bill Benjamin, in his study, went back and he used a thirty-year time horizon starting in nineteen twenty-six to demonstrate why the four percent rule worked, and he used a portfolio of fifty percent stocks and fifty percent bonds, and he came to the conclusion that the four percent withdrawal you know, really, really worked well. We're here to tell you that your withdrawal strategy shouldn't be a percentage. It should be created through a financial plan that is specific to you. And, and more because of people don't spend money in a static fashion. What I mean by that is someone doesn't spend exactly the same amount of money each and every year in retirement. We talk about the three phases of retirement. You got the go-go phase. It's where you just retired. You're going to travel and see your kids and do all the stuff that you haven't been able to do for the last 30 or 40 years because you've been trying to get to this retirement place. And typically, in my opinion, it's one of the most expensive. And people underestimate how much money they're going to spend in this phase, in this go-go phase. Then you get to what I call the slow-go phase. And maybe that's at 75, but when you hit a certain age, and I'm not saying age is the barrier, just at some point, you've done all the travel you want to do, you're done going to Europe, you know, you just start to slow down. And truth be told, you may not have the energy to keep doing the same things that you've done. And this probably becomes the least expensive phase of retirement. And then the last is the no-go phase. And that's the phase where people can't do it. 
you just can't physically move. And this actually could become the most expensive part of your retirement. And that's where we start to talk about assisted living, in-home health care, nursing homes, all of those different things. So if if you're if you're doing a financial plan, we can dial in how much you need to spend. You may be able to spend 5% of your overall portfolio. It might be five and a half. It depends on when you take the withdrawals and how long they're going to last. So in our financial plan, and you've, you've seen this, we have a cash flow chart. It tells you exactly what percent of your portfolio you're spending each and every year um, versus just saying, well, I'm going to spend 4% every year and call it good. That's just a very, very, very um, scary way to go about it. Not that it won't work. It's just more of a scary way to go about it. Right. And this also, you know, it's a, and you know, it's a rule of thumb, right? And it was also made assuming a 50% stock, 50% bond portfolio. And not everyone is invested that way either. And, you know, and that's, I get why, you know, the whole premise of it, um, it, it makes sense. But I, yeah, I lean more towards what the, the way we do it. And especially for people when they first retire, I like to see people spending their money, um, and having fun, especially it's like, so, cause we do, we, we have a lot of conversations with people. Sometimes people retire and they think it's great and they're doing all this stuff and other people retire and then they say they're bored. But I know that the conversations are a lot more fun when someone's telling us about all the stuff they're doing and do you think I'm spending too much? But then we can say, no, everything's going to be fine. You're spending more now, but your spending's not going to always be this way. Um, so yeah, but that's what you get with you know, if you're going to follow rules of thumbs and stuff like that, this would probably work out for you. But, um, you know, if you're going to have something more tailored, a specific plan for you, that's, I guess that's where, uh, like a firm like ours would come into play. Um, and then what are some of the other, what are some of the other factors well, that go into this? If you're just going to go off the 4% rule, there's a couple things you have to think about. Um, there's, if you're if you assumed four percent, so you retired five years ago, and you said, "Well, the safe withdrawal rate's four percent. I haven't done a financial plan. I'm just going to live by this." And now it's three point three. There are some ways that you know potentially you need to make changes because let's say you're spending four and a half. It doesn't mean that you can't spend four and a half. It just means you. It's less dependable. There's a higher probability you'll run out. One of the ways people can actually have a higher withdrawal rate is they're going to have to take more risk on the equity and the fixed income side because you need a higher total return. So that's one way. You know, you could have lower quality bonds. You could have more growth-oriented stocks. You're just going to have to potentially take more risk. The second way, if you're not going to have a financial plan done, and we do with every person that hits retirement or, or near every person. Um, some people aren't taking money, but if they're going to start spending down their portfolio, we put together a distribution strategy. And that's very, very important. We subscribe to the bucket approach. And really that what that does is allocating money to different um, buckets of money. And what we're trying to do is reduce human, human error or emotion from it. Um, if we segment your money by responsibilities, we typically think about three types, cash, income, and growth. So the cash bucket, one to three years of cash, and that might be a lot of cash to some people, but why do you do it? Because if the market goes down on average, it takes two years to come back. Let's say if you got one one to three years of cash, you won't have to sell a stock position 
to raise the funds for retirement. Right, right. when it's down. You won't have to sell when it's negative or lost money. I, I like to tell people this. If you have an apple tree and you have 15 branches making apples, if you have to sell an investment, that's like chopping off a branch of your apple tree. It's less income it can generate in the future. So if we had a big stash of apples from the previous years already on the ground to eat, we wouldn't have to chop the apple apple branch down to take all the apples from it because that prevents future income. That's a great analogy. Well, First I time did, I've heard that one. Sometimes it's apple trees. Sometimes it's land. You know, whatever. We, we mix yeah, it up. Yeah, right. But point is we have cash. Then we should have income producing assets that are sending that income into our cash bucket. To keep fill up, keep filling up the cash bucket as much as we really can, and then we should have our long-term or growth investments that are six to ten years out. And then, if the market has chaos, you can just ask ask someone you're working with. Well, what bucket of money are we talking about? Because your cash bucket didn't go down in value, your income bucket's probably paying a similar dividend or interest rate from the time we bought it, and then it's just the growth bucket. So do you really want to sell the stuff that's six years out today? Are we okay holding this? Because we put together a very, very good distribution strategy for someone to have in retirement. I would, most of the time, the answer is probably we're just going to hold on to that, hold on to that and wait. We're not using it for six years anyway. Well, that's, that's in my opinion, the best thing to do um, is to have some kind of a bucket strategy in place so that you have a way to deal with, you know, market changes. We've said this for a long time. We don't predict markets. We're not financial weathermen. But at some point, we know the market's going to go down in value. We just don't know when. So as long as we have a plan to deal with it, we've taken care of the problem. It'll be uh, right. And I, I call it fluctuation. Because the other day I had someone ask, they're asking about their portfolio. And um, so they're and they're a little bit worried about correction in the market. So I do have potential to lose some money, which in this made him laugh. And I said, well, I don't really look at it like you're losing money. I look at it as a short-term fluctuation in the price. And <laughs> he laughed about that. Well, that's the truth. And what that bucket strategy we just talked about says is, yeah, well, if the market goes down, we're still okay. Right. If you think and, about why- right, we when you decided to invest your money- into the equity markets, you knew that they fluctuated. So it's okay. It's going to happen. I had someone in the other day and they're like, yeah, I said, you know, I, my typical language, the first time I meet somebody, what's most important. And they, they go, we don't want to lose any money over the next three years. Okay. We I need. have very limited options. That's what, what I said. They tried to talk themselves into, they're trying to talk themselves into more risk and they're never going to spend this money. I'm legitimately, they're never going to spend it. They don't need it. They're never going to spend it. And I said, well, you're going to have to determine if the market goes down, are you going to have the wherewithal to not sell? Because what? otherwise you guys just need to be in the safe, you know, bank alternatives, like very, very, very safe investments. How did they respond to that? They're going to keep trying to talk themselves into taking more risk. And I'm not trying to talk them into it. I'm trying to talk them out of it because <laughs> yeah, I've seen this because what will happen is they'll invest it. And inevitably the first few months, the market will just go down. They'll get bad timing. And then they're going to call me up, say, hey, we just can't do this anymore. We got to sell. And I did them an injustice. Like they don't, when people try to talk themselves into more risk, it's never ends up well. They're better off just not taking the risk because if the market goes down. Then they can tell themselves, yep, we made a really good decision by buying the bank CDs 
and not taking more risk. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that that's one thing about our job. Like we're supposed to do educate people and help them within their best interest. Right. So just I could look at a situation and I could always say, well, if I were you, I would do this, but that's really irrelevant because that's not the type of advice I should be giving or we should be giving. It should be, well, what I know about you, this is what we should do because it's in your best interest. Here's what he what asked I me. would do with your money and maybe totally different than what you're comfortable with. Here's what he asked me. He goes, would I have been better off over the last 13 years being in the stock market? And this is my answer. I said, well, I know I would have been like if I had my money in the stock market, but I don't know about you. And he goes, why? I said, because 13 years ago, it would have been 2008. You'd have invested your money in November of 2008, right when everything was starting to go bad. Right, and would, would, you, would, you, have would you have held through that? I said, if you that. put your money in 13 years ago, would you have held through 2008, the 18% correction, the fourth quarter of 2018, and through COVID? Would you have not made any changes? And he goes, I don't know. So I said, yeah, I don't know if you'd have been better off. You might have been better off just parking your money in the bank like you've been doing because you didn't make any bad decisions. There's opportunity cost yes. of not doing it, but I can't quantify. I don't know how you're going to react. And my thought is, I asked him, I said, well, if this account went down $15,000, what would happen? I wouldn't sleep at night. Probably just stay in the bank. That could happen. And if you have enough money, 15000 that can happen in a day. This would have happened in like an hour with the account size this was. Yeah, so right. So, I mean, it was it was almost like, I mean, it literally every day, that would have been the fluctuation at a minimum. Every day. Up and down, up and down, up and down, fifteen grand, and they just wouldn't be able to. I know they wouldn't be able to handle it. Um, hmm. So I think that's funny how we kind of try to help people get out of their own way. So Elias, we're going to flip back to something new again in 2021, but there's a particular investment that started to catch um, oh mainstream favorability early in the year, and it's something called a SPAC, and that stands for Special Acquisition Company. And basically what they do is they help companies go public. Um, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because a very popular name is now back in the news. Well, he's never left the news. But Donald Trump is trying to launch a social media venture through a special acquisition company. Right, and he's funding it through a SPAC. Yeah, so I we had that video come across. So. You know, there's the SEC's investigating every aspect of it and everything they're doing. But, you know, he almost has to create his own. Uh, isn't he kicked off every other social? Like, he's basically not allowed on social media. So his only option, if he's planning on campaigning he's, again, he's going to have to create a space where he can actually get his, uh, his message out there or whatever, because I don't think he's allowed on the other platforms. And ironically enough, I pulled up this MSN article here, and the title is Trump's SPAC proves you now can create a meme stock on purpose. Yeah. So you think about what happened. He just found the newest investment. That, I mean, it's a shady part of the investment world. Like, it's misunderstood. A, it, yeah. It, it's yeah. misunderstood. It's shady. And now Trump's involved with it. He created a SPAC. So the name of his media company is the Trump Media and Technology Group. And they engaged with a spec special acquisition company called DWAC. Um, and when the when the merger was announced, and this is why they're saying you could potentially create a meme stock craze on purpose, um, 
the DWAC, the DWAC, DWAC, which is the private equity company or SPAC, the shares went up 845% at the announcement of the merger. Yeah, I so, remember that. So it's yeah. similar to like a GameStop or an AMC meme stock um, situation. And it caused the SEC to start doing some investigation um, as to whether they sh whether there was some dealings behind the scenes known before this is created. Because there's some rules around when the special acquisition company can actually go engage with the um, the company they're going to list. Also, coincidentally enough, um, Devin Nunez was uh, going to be taking over as uh, a figurehead of the Trump media uh, group, which he was a former politician. Um, so they're actually going to investigate that too. But he's back in the news. He's trying to find a way to have you know a voice out there, which he's, truth be told, he's kind of lost since he's been banned from Twitter. He's off Facebook. Um, whether that's good or bad, that that's up for everybody to debate. That's not my that's not my job to debate. But he's found a way to make a meme stock on purpose about himself. <laughs> Go figure. I know. I wish I would have got in on that trade, which I didn't know anything about it until it was too late. By the time I heard of it, the stock price was already up like such an amount that it wouldn't even make sense. Well, it goes back to they're to just buy it, but. It, these, these you know people are going to pile if he like him doing something like that you know people are going to pile in just look at the number of followers he has regardless of your political affiliation there's a lot of people that follow him and like him he has a very large audience it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is it's just a fact whether that's right, right or wrong it is what it is um but it just goes to show when somebody has that much power just i'd guess if elon musk did the same thing the exact same thing would happen if yes. Elon Musk went and said, I'm going to create a media company and we're going to go take it public through this SPAC, guess what would happen? And it same. might be bigger, actually. Yeah. Because of his similar success result. In, because of his success in the previous businesses that, that he's had. Um, but so it's when, just, when is the, the next election going to be in 24? Yeah, the midterms in 2022 and the next election in 2024. Okay, so we have like 2022 of... Hopefully not so much in your face politics, but then 2023, it's probably on campaigning and the whole thing. I, I believe that this media company is what it's all about. Because he's got to he's got to find a way to be in your face again. Because if he's not on the other social media channels, how does he get it? It's only going to be through airtime. Well, mainstream yeah, he, media doesn't throw him out there. I mean, most media channels aren't putting that out there on a daily basis. So they're going to do everything they can to silence what he has to say. But yeah, I believe in 2023, it's going to be right back in our face eventually. Man, this really makes, I want to create a meme stock now. You put your effort to figure it out. I'm in, I'll be your first <laughs> investor, Elias. Okay. Um, well, this is kind of a fun show, Elias. I think it's, we had a little bit of the new or well, most of the new and a little bit of the old. Um, well, I think the, the takeaway from the show, Elias, and just, be prepared for a lot of things changing in the future. Things always change, but I feel like the change in the investment world is rapid. Just all the new technology, the new types of investments that are rolling out there. And we're here to educate people and give them the stuff that they need to know. And the primary thing people should know is that a financial plan can actually answer a lot of the questions that you have and make a lot of the stuff that you hear in the news irrelevant because a lot of it is literally just for entertainment purposes. So with that said, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Elias, do you have anything you want in the show with? 
Uh, just Merry Christmas, everybody. And, you know, if you're, if you want some help with your, um, with your portfolio or some help with financial planning, don't be shy. Reach out to us. We're always here. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.